This is your East Texas Real Estate Podcast with your favorite real estate team, Texas Home and Ranch Group. Here is your host, team lead Kristen Bonin and driver Corey. Hey everybody, we are back and we are talking about all things land today. Well, not all things land today. It would be impossible to talk about all things land. We'd be here all week. Well, we may here be like all month or yeah. something. So owning land is more than just the land. It's all of the stuff that goes in, on, around, through, to, over, under. Right. So I get calls all the time that say, I want to buy land or I need a track of land. I'm interested in land, something along those lines. Um, just very, very basic. I want land. Um, I think that's the worst question you can ever say, right? Why? Or, or statement you can ever say, I want land. Why? Because you open yourself up to a whole host of questions. The first one being, what kind of land? Because that's the reality. There's so many different types of land all over Texas. And I think Texas, unlike most states, is do you want to be in the desert near El yeah, Paso? Yeah, so we're talking about East Texas. Or do you want to be in the piney woods of, of yeah, Central yeah. East Texas? Do you want but to- even being in East Texas. So, okay, so let's break this down. So someone calls me and says, I want to buy some land, right? There's so many different aspects of land in East Texas as to what you are possibly looking for. So what you may want, let's say, for example, is you want trees, right? We call that timber. So I want to buy a piece of land that has nothing but trees on it, right? So when you call me and you say, I want to buy land, I need to know that. I need to know I want a track of land that is completely forested. That's one type of land. Or I want pasture. You may want pasture. But I want a few trees. You may want a few trees. You may want clusters of trees. You may want partial coverage. You may want some pasture, some forested area, a mix of the two, a 50-50 blend or something along those lines. Um, Really the use is what are you going to use this land for? Are you going to run animals on this land? Are you going to use this land for hunting? Um, what is the purpose of this land? Why do you want to purchase lands and what do you plan to do with it? Um, that is really the first question that that I really need an answer to when you call about land. What do you want to do with it? What type of land are you looking for? That's going to narrow us down to a lot of different locations within East Texas because there's a lot of different things that that we're looking for. And even with when you start getting into, we're not going to really get into a, a lot of the nitty gritty of this, but when you start talking about timber, you're talking about, are you looking for a pine plantation? Are you looking about, you know, timber value? Are you going to farm the timber or are you just looking for a place to go hang out? And same uh, with, with pasture, right? Well, with timber, getting back to that, I mean, it, just talking about timber alone is a three or four day conversation because then it's how healthy is a timber? How old is a timber? Exactly. What's exactly. its marketability? Because just because you have, you know, 100 acres of, of heavy pine that's ready to be cut down today doesn't mean there's a sawmill today ready to take that pine. Right. So we can we can talk about getting into like subsets of each one of these probably forever. So um, so just kind of keep that in mind. We're at a very high level today about what we're what we're going to be discussing in terms of. Um, the, the different types and the different questions that I'm asked on a regular basis about um, land. So that's the first category. What are you looking for in terms of land? What type of land? Do you want timber? Do you want pasture? 
how much timber, how much pasture are you looking for? What's the land use I'll be wanting here? And I think the second thing for me when, when we start doing the search is also once we know, do you want woods? Do you want pasture? What's the mix that you'd be wanting? It's also then what's, what's your budget, you know, and how many acres are you aiming to get? And I think one of the questions we ask that question is one of the also, answers we always get is as much as I can get. Well, you may not like the answer because, you know, in some areas you can get, you know, one acre for a hundred thousand dollars. And then in the next area, an hour and a half down the road, you can get a hundred acres for a hundred thousand dollars, but you may not like the area. Right. So that brings us into the next question that I always ask, which is where do you want this acreage? Um, so when we talk about where we're talking about the first category of where is going to be, do you want it to be restricted or unrestricted? Most people and 99% of people want it to be unrestricted. And that means it needs to be outside the city limits. Yeah. And there's a whole conversation in talking about restrictions and, and all that you get into to, to keep it to high level. You know, you have city restrictions and you have restrictions that the owner can put on you when you purchase the property. But unrestricted typically means you can do what you want within legal reasons. Uh, and then restricted obviously means there's something on the property you have to follow even after you purchase it. Right. And we've seen, you know, tracts of land before that have been sold 30, 40 acres where the stipulation, the, the deed restriction was you can't put a mobile home mm-hmm. or the deed restriction was you can only put one home on this tract of land. That was the restriction on the property. Um, so it doesn't mean when you hear deed restrictions, it doesn't mean that, you know, I can't hunt or I can't do this, that and the other. It just means that there was some sort of a restriction that was put on the property. So don't let that scare you away necessarily. You're getting off topic just for a second. We had a property last year. I'm not going to say where it was, but it was an issue that we ran into. That was a very unique issue. It was that property in Jacksonville where it was inside the city limits, but it was grandfathered in and you were allowed to hunt on the property. But the restriction we ran into when we were looking at it was you couldn't hunt when school was in session. Right. But they had never clearly defined what does in session mean? Is it just school hours? Is it the school week? Is it when school's in period? So right. from, you know, August to to November and then from January to May, you couldn't hunt. And that was one of the issues we ran into. And we didn't end up moving forward with our buyer on it. But, you know, those are the kind of things that you run into. And if you can't get a clear answer, then obviously you have to take that and weigh it against your desirability right. of having the property. So we're looking more, more times than not, we're looking outside the city limits. When you go outside the city limits, then we're talking about how rural are you wanting to go? How far outside the city limits are you wanting to go? Because the farther away from the city limits you get, the cheaper the land is typically. It's also less desirable the farther out you go, typically. Um, the closer you are to the city, the, clo- the higher the price tag. If you're right outside Tyler, you're right outside Lufkin, you're right outside Jacksonville or Rusk, um, that price tag is going to be higher than if you're farther outside the city limits, say, going towards Mount Enterprise, um, going out towards Huntington, going out towards Overton, those different areas like that. Those areas that are a little bit less populated, a little bit more country. Um, you're not going to have the amenities that you're going to have in some of the larger areas. It's not as easy to get into some of the larger areas for shopping, for medical and all those things like that. Well, and it's also on the flip side of that, it's also not as easy to get builders out to the property. It's not as easy to get power. It may not be as easy to get water. 
Right. Um, and so those are all things you have to take into consideration. The further out from established city centers that I go, the more complicated I may run into trying to get the amenities I need on this property. Right. So you're talking about, yes, my overall purchase price. I may be getting a really, really good price. I may be able to get, you know, a lot of acreage for my money. I may be able to get, you know, maybe three, four times as many acres than I would if I was just outside the city. But I may have a whole, whole host of other problems that we may have to you know, contend with. And that's one of the things that we want to look at before we ever put in an offer on a property that's, you know, outside the city limits and how far outside the city limits is what are going to be the available, you know, utilities and availability of services and things like that outside the city limits. That brings me into another topic, and that's going to be utilities. So utilities outside the city limits, typically you're going to be in a co-op. So Cherokee County has Cherokee County Cooperative. That's going to be the area for Cherokee County. Um, I know Angelina County has their own, Smith County has their own, Russ County has their own. Each one has their own cooperatives that you're going to be a part of um, to, you know, work on for your power, your electricity, and, and so on and so forth. Um, outside the city limits, you typically you're, you're going to have community water if you're not on a well. Community water just basically means there's a big well somewhere that the um, rural water um, associations are going to own and they're going to pump that water to your home and it's going to work basically just kind of like city water. You have a meter, it's run to your house, um, and you get a bill every month, uh, just like you would if it were city water, except the source of the water is not from a city plant. It's actually from a well that's maintained by an organization. Um, so that's community water. The difference between community water and a well on your property, as you know, you dig a well, you've got water on your property. There's no water bill every month, but you, that does cause a higher spike in electricity. So you may have access to community water. You may not have access to community water. If you have access to community water, what's going to be the cost of that? Is it readily available? Are you on a street, maybe on a county road where there's houses not far from you and they've already run the lines? Are you in an area that they haven't run the lines? Maybe the lines are across the street and you're going to have to bore under the property. Or you're buying a large tract property and you want the house in the, all the exactly, way in the back. Exactly, exactly. What you, happens if you've bought 100 acres and you want the house 50 acres in? Now you have to dig a hole, run exactly. some pipe. How, you know, at, at $3.50 a linear foot, that starts to add up. Well, and you have to think too, not only that, and I know we're harping on the water thing, but uphill, downhill, and the same thing exactly. with power, right? Wherever you're running water, you're going to run power. Where's your local power lines? You know, do I have high lines that I can't take a power feed off of, or do I have standard poles that I can? Is mm-hmm. how far know, down the road are those yeah, lines? We had a buyer who, you know, he wanted to get power to his property, and they thought it'd be no big deal. Not listening to a lot of people and not understanding really what they were getting into. Uh, once they bought the property and didn't follow recommendations from the realtor, you know, they ended up realizing to get power out there was a very, very large chunk of change. And the issue wasn't that there wasn't a power line near their property. There was, it just had to run through someone else's property who wouldn't give access to it. So now you're running from down the street, which means instead of it being a couple hundred dollars to run it from the neighbor's property, now you're talking tens of thousands of dollars dollars to run it from down the street. To get electricity down to your property. And there's always, you know, other options, as you know, you've got solar options, you've got, you know, a lot of different different options for water and for power, and you can make yourself totally self-sufficient if you want to go that direction. But before you put an offer in on a property, 
one of the things that we talk about, you know, as, as realtor to clients is what are the available property, property, what are the available utilities in the area, in the area? How much is this going to cost? If I buy this property and I do what I want to do, I want to put a house in the property. This is where I want to put the house. I need to make sure I know the cost for power. I know the cost for not only getting water to the property, but I talk to a plumbing company and I know the cost of getting the water from the street all the way up to my house. I need to understand, you know, the road availability, the surface roads. How easy is it going to be for me to be able to, if I have to clear a part of my land to build a house, or if I have to bring in builders and I have to bring in vendors to do that, how easy is that going to be to get in and out? And that's the access road topic that we're going to talk about next. I think the other thing to, you know, to hit on too at this point is when you look at property, if these things are readily available, water is there, power is there. They may not have their meter in. They may not have the poles run to the final home site. You know, there's a road on the property with 100 complete access to it. There's an area already cleared where you can put a house. All of these things have already been somewhat dealt with. That increases the value of the property. Right. Because those things have been done. Those things have value to them. They're considered improvements. I would say if you walk onto a piece of property and there's already a meter set there, you might as well go ahead and assume that property is going to have that cost associated with it. So right. don't think, well, this is only four acres. Why does it cost this? Well, there's a meter there. There's well right. there. You've already got water. You've already got power. Your utilities are already there. Yeah. So you can start including the, not just the fact that it's there, but the work was put in that. The Which increases was your put value. In that and it, it increases the value of that property. So when you go to make an offer or they go to price that property, it's going to be higher than neighboring properties because that work's already been done. So just keep that in mind whenever you see something that already has utilities available, you're going to pay for those utilities available versus another property that doesn't have those uh, those options available. And I think another thing to talk about on the logging side of it is if the trees are gone, somebody made money off of that. But that also increased the value of the property because now you have the clearings, which make the property more desirable, home sites, roads accessibility through the property. So don't just think if you see a property, you see trees have been knocked down recently. Well, you know, I lost that value. No, it actually increased the value of your property. Right. So accessibility to the property is going to be, you know, a big factor. And this is not just for you to be able to get to your property, but this is also for the vendors that we were just talking about, people to be able to get to your property for water, for power, to build the house that you're looking for. If you're going to be doing any sort of logging um, any sanitation uh, clearings or anything like that. Um, this is where people are going to be accessing your property. So we need to understand how individuals and how you are going to be able to access your property. So we have basically four types of access. Um, you have your highway frontage. That's that's normal, right? We're on Highway 21. We're on um, Interstate 69. That's what we consider highway frontage, uh, even if it's inter- interstate or if it's state highway. Um, basically that means I'm on a road that's going to have the maximum amount of traffic possible. Um, that's going to be loud. That's loud, right? We got, we got a lot of noise pollution on those types of roads. Um, it's not as desirable to be on those types of roads. So when you're looking at listings and you're looking at the fact that it says state highway 21, or it says highway 69 North or something like that, you need to understand what that means in terms of traffic. You have another access type that's farm to market or FM. You see that a lot, FM something another. 
FM241 is common between alto and rusk. Um, FM23 is also between alto and rusk. Um, you've got a number of, of farm to market roads all over the place out here. And those farm to market roads are exactly what they sound like, farm to market. It was exactly going between the country to a town. Uh, and they are direct throughways. They were built specifically to be a throughway to the country. So what does that mean? It's not a highway. It doesn't have the maximum amount of traffic, but it's got a significant amount of see, traffic. You know, I hear on the, the farm to market, you're going to see 18 wheelers and, and small, it's a throughway. small trucks taking cattle to the market. You're going to see them taking chickens to the market. Exactly. You're going to see trucks hauling tractors around. You're going to see tractors driving on them. It may not be a main highway that you're going to see a lot of city people driving, but you may get a lot of 18-wheelers hauling logs, hauling tractors. You have no idea what farms in that area are moving gear, equipment, merchandise around that's going to use your road. So those are things you need to contend with. Obviously, if you're looking for something for hunting, uh, depending on the roads around you or what is around you, that may impact you know what you bought the property for. Right. The most quiet, typically, roads you're going to be looking for are going to be your county roads. Mm. A county road is a small road that is maintained by the county, just like that, county road. Um, it's typically going to have a number associated with it. Each of the county roads is numbered. That's how they distinguish one county road from another. Um, so when you look at a county road, you're not going to have, typically, unless they're about to turn it into a farm-to-market road, you're not going to have the high traffic that you're going to have on, say, a farm-to-market road or on a highway. So why is this important? This is important because as you access your property, these are the types of surfaces that you're going to come across. Farm-to-market is paved. County roads can be paved. They can also be natural, meaning you may have a dirt driveway well, coming into your property. Or you could be like us. Half of the county road that we live off of, is paved. But once we go about a mile or a quarter mile past our property, it used to be paved probably back in the 60s, <laughs> and now it's dirt road. Right. And so those are things you have to contend with. Our neighbors up on the hill, I mean, they all live off a of dirt road, right. and the county comes out maybe once in a blue moon and takes care of the road. Right. So if you have an SUV and you plan to come out here during the wet season, unless you have a four-wheel drive vehicle, you're probably not going to be able to access your property. Well, let's be let's let's be real, right? If you have a Corvette, you don't want to live off a of county road. You don't want to live in East Texas, period. <laughs> if you have a Corvette, yeah. So that guy driving that Corvette around Alto, I'm telling you, buddy, you got the wrong car. You got the wrong you got area. The wrong you got you got to hightail it somewhere else, buddy. This is not the right area for you. But you I know, mean, cool, God bless cool, you, though. Cool color, though. Yeah, yeah. God bless you for trying. I mean, really. So, you know, you the access to your property is very, very critical and understanding in the weather that we have, how am I going to be able to get to my property? Am I, am I, we, we had a buyer that we closed last year who literally about two weeks ago went out to their property. It had been raining and they got stuck. Yeah. And, you know, they happened to have a neighbor who was out that was able to pull them out of the mud. Um, but they, they got stuck and it was nighttime. It was about nine o'clock at night. It was dark. And they luckily were able to get out of there. They were, they're very blessed to that, but they were in the middle of nowhere and just happened to have a neighbor that was out. And so that, I think that's going to lead into our next one, you know, the one accessibility, right? So our property, we don't have, an, 
an easement that we use to get onto the property. Other so than, what's an easement? Let's explain that. There first. you go. Let's what start is with an that. Easement? Go. Okay. So an easement, if you hear something called an easement, an easement is a strip of land. It can be a strip. It can be, you know, a portion of land um, that is set aside for someone other than yourself to access the property for some reason. So if you have, um, for example, uh, power to your property, let's say for whatever reason, you have a house that's going to be in the middle of your property and you run power to it. You're going to have a power easement on your property. That that power line coming into your property is going to be deeded over to the whoever. On, on our case, that's going to be the county cooperative. They actually own a portion of land where the lines are. So why is that? If in the event that we have a power outage and there is need the need to come and maintain the lines, they are able to access the property to go and access those lines. They own that strip of land to be able to access that. Well, I think to clarify a little, right? So we jointly own the land. Right, correct. So so, so as far as where we're at, right, we own the property. The easement falls within the property. We grant the power company basically a, an unending at right to access the property. Right. And it's deeded over to them that they have the access. They have them and them alone have access to the property. So wait on our property, right? Because we own the land. We control access onto the property and we just have to basically let the power right. company know this is how you get onto right. your piece that you have access to. Right. And that's a utility easement. You have the same thing for water if you run water lanes at the road. Typically you'll see at the road there's a water easement. Um that's going to be deeded over to the water company, whoever that might be. You may have electric lines that run through your property that power multiple areas. We have the same thing. We've got about 900 feet of higher electric lines that run through our property. They luckily feed our property too, but they also feed a large portion of our area. Our neighbors, yeah. Our neighbors as well. Um, so that's an electric easement on our property. You may have pipelines that run through your property. That's a pipeline easement. So there's a number of different types of easements that are out there. And it basically just dictates who is able to access your property and for what purpose. And to be clear, when you have that where you own, you own the property, but there's this easement where someone else can access it, it's only that entity that can access it. So if it's a water easement, only the water company is supposed to be on your property. Power easement, only the power company is supposed to be on your easement. So don't think that whenever you hear an easement, don't automatically think bad things. It simply means that whoever is with those organizations can access your property. And it's not like they can come out there and set up their deer stand on your power pole and be like, I work with a power company while he's taking shots at your deer. Right. That's not what it's for. It's meant for them to maintain their equipment and then leave. Right. So So that gets into access easements. So that's where we're leading into. Right. So that was what an easement is um, as relations to utilities and things along those lines. Now we get into an access easement. There are properties. That's a tricky, tricky, that tricky. The access to the property, meaning how I get to my property is through an access easement. So what does that mean? So my neighbor, whoever lives at the road, somewhere along those lines, has a driveway. That driveway goes from his house to the road. Now, let's say that particular neighbor sold a piece of land behind him and I bought that land and I built a house and my driveway tees off from his driveway. So I enter on the same entrance as him, 
But instead of turning into his driveway, I keep going straight and I turn into my driveway. That is a shared easement. Okay. That is something that we both share access to. It's been granted access to me. I am able to share that easement. I'm able to share that driveway with the neighbor who actually owns it. He's granted me access to it. Now you have two kinds of easements. One is recorded, one is unrecorded. An unrecorded easement is where my neighbor has just said, hey, yeah, go ahead and access your house from my driveway. It's cool. We're friends. Handshake. We go our separate ways. Not the preferred method. Not the preferred method. There's a lot of reasons why. We're going to get into that in a minute. The other way is a recorded easement. What that means is there is a deeded easement that specifically says that this particular property, which is the property that I own, that particular property has a specific reason according to the deed. I am specifically able to access my property through this driveway. It is on a survey. It shows up in the deed records. And if you have a lender and you're wanting to purchase this property in the future through a lender, a lender has to see that this access is deeded. That's extremely important. Cannot be unrecorded access. So why is this important? Just because my neighbor is my best friend right now does not mean that my neighbor is going to be my best friend tomorrow. Yep. So we actually, uh, without getting into a whole lot of details, there's been a situation in the last probably two years where not having ownership of the easement like what we do, where we share it, but we actually own it, um, where it's recorded access has come back to bite some people we know in the butt. Because even though it's recorded, at any point someone can stand up and say, you can't use it anymore. Right. Sheriff office isn't going to come out there and say, no, no, no. Looking at their deed, they have access The law, the, the sheriff's office and police. They just enforce the law and the law is whatever is written in a book and whatever the judge says. So if you have a recorded easement to a property that goes through someone else's property to, to Kristen's point, he was my friend yesterday. Today, he hates my guts. and He's telling me I can't use what is a recorded easement. The police are going to tell you there's nothing we can do. It goes through his property because that's the same situation that has played out with some issues that we've been in. So it's very important that whenever they are a recorded easement, it doesn't mean to w- walk away from the property. It doesn't mean it. It just means there's a little bit of a risk. Always, always, always have the documentation because God forbid 10, 20 years from now, you have to go and sit in front of a judge and explain this. If you say, well, me and me and Billy Bob shook hands and we said this was good to go. The judge is going to say, you don't have anything. Right. You it have has docs. to be recorded. Yep. You have documentation. You're good. At any time, that owner can just stand up and say, you know what? I'm not going to let you have access to your property. There are people out there that will be that way. And unfortunately, those people do exist. And it may not be the current neighbor. He may sell his property right. and the new neighbor says. It could be the, a future person yeah, you know, I, down the line. I don't know who he is. I don't know what agreements you had with him. I don't care. You're not You're not going to. Exactly. You're not exactly. coming across my property. So you never know what's going to happen now or in the future. Um, and there are people, unfortunately, out there that will take advantage of situations. So you just want to make sure that you have the documentation in order. When you buy a property that has easement access, you want to make sure you understand that, understand where the easements are. Understand um, 
how you're going to be able to access the property. And when we talk about also, just like we mentioned, you know, how are you going to access it once you not only get onto the property, but county road, farm to market road, highway, that all is going to factor into how you're going to use the property as well. So that's accessing your property. Okay. So when you finally get onto the property and everything else you've got there, you understand your easements, you, um, you know what kind of property you have, you know where your property is in terms of the, the city limits and how far out you are. Um, one of the other big questions that we get is the topography of the land. So what is topography? Topography means they'll basically the layout of the land. Is my land flat or is it rolling? Am I on the side of a mountain? Um, am do I, I in have, a valley? Am I in a valley? Do I have hills? Is there a creek on the property? Is it a wet weather creek or is it seasonal? Um, is it going to overflow potentially? Is this a creek that's known? For example, Mud Creek. We all know you don't want to live near Mud Creek because we know what happens to Mud Creek all the time. Not good. By the so, way, whoever bought off Mud Creek, you are in for one rude awakening when the rains come. Yeah, just you know, just build up, build up, build, build high. <laughs> just don't worry about that. You'll hey, be good. South I ten going towards the water. You're going to see some great architect that people have done with stilts. Take that, bring it to your house. There you go. There you go. So you you want to understand the water features on the property. Some things may not be water features. They just may be water things on the property. Yeah, drainage. <laughs> um, uh, drainage of the property. It, it's going to depend on where I want to put my house. You don't want to put your house in the valley. You want to put your house on a higher portion of the property. Um, so you need to understand where the topography is. You need a flat area to put your house. Um, if the entire house is sitting on the side of a mountain and ours happens to be sitting on the side of a mountain, um, you know, you need to understand how you're going to engineer the property so that the home is structurally sound. That's going to require a little bit of extra cost to be able to make sure that that is done. So you need to really understand, um, what you're getting into in terms of topography and what you want for topography. Yeah. And I think the, the most important thing to do is to take your maps, take your elevation maps, Look and find out where your water features are. Figure out where I would want a home built. Understand you're not going to put the home, you know, on the low side of the property because everything on the high side is coming to you. So you kind of want to build on the upside. So one of the things that we did was we're we live on a hill. So part of our property is a low point. The other complete opposite direction is a high point. We put our house almost in the middle, but it's in the middle of a flat area where there's low spots that kind of go around the house. So any of the water coming down off the mountain kind of goes around our property, either through one of the, the overflow creeks that we have on the front of the property or through our natural creek on the back side of the property that usually is always flowing except for like two weeks out of the year. Right. But those are things you have to look at. We have a we have a creek on our property. We have a flood area on our property that probably about what one week out of the year, it actually will get pretty bad where you have to be mindful of the water, you have to be mindful of the creek, but all of that is put away in a part of the property that we don't access or need to get to our house. Right. And so we can access our house 24-7, but we do have the water features. We do have the flood areas. So those are the things that just because they're there doesn't take away from the value of the property or the value of putting a home there. Right. You have to understand, too, a lot of the flood maps may or may not be accurate for a lot of the areas that you're looking at or the information from those maps may be based off calculations that were done 20 years ago, 15 years 20 ago, 20 plus years ago. Right. And the so flood maps, what a lot of people don't understand is that 
The flood maps are not redrawn every year or even every five years or even every 10 years. There's a lot of times that I'm looking at flood maps that are were drawn in 2011. Yeah. You know, and those flood maps are what a lot of people are looking at to make a determination on if they're going to purchase a property or not. Understanding that tidewaters change, creeks change, we have erosion, we have um, the natural flow of the tidewaters that are going to happen. Just because a map in 2011 said that this is where a flood zone is does not mean in 2021 that this is where the flood is. And just because in 2011 it said this is a flood zone honestly doesn't mean it's ever flooded before. We have, you know, we have some property that we've looked at before where, you know, the owner had lived there his entire life and, you know, it was all in a flood zone. And he said, it's only flooded once. Right. You know, we had, I've had 80 years on this property. I saw it flood once in the fifties and it was only really this one little area, but you pull a flood map and this whole thing looks like, you know, right. it should be part in the Red Sea and stuff in that thing. But right. you got to be careful. You got to look at it. You got to understand it. And you got to take everything with all the information to understand what do I have? What can I work with? So the last point I want to talk on is fencing. Just because you purchase a pasture does not mean it's fenced. (laughs) A lot of questions around this. So there may have been some fencing at one time on one portion of the boundary. That doesn't mean the integrity is there. That probably means you're going to need to restring it. Um, you're, you're going to more than likely need to put up a fence around the entire perimeter to make sure that it's secure for animals. And I think it's important too to understand that when you see fully fenced may or may not necessarily mean the listing agent or the owner has actually walked every single foot of that fence to make sure it's all still there. Right. And yeah. what the integrity of that fence is, yeah. is it, is it still standing? Is it secure? Are every one of those strings of, of barbed wire still solid? And just because it's standing doesn't mean it's quality, right? Exactly. We have fence on our property. We don't run animals at all, right? But we have part of our property is fence. At one point, our entire property was fence. I can tell you the weakest areas of our fence are with our neighbor who does run cattle, who doesn't look at the fence. And I have walked parts of that fence that I can barely get to almost all of it, there's sections I can get to and the sections I can get to are in bad shape. Yeah. So those are the areas that we can get to easily. So what are the areas that I can't get to look like? Tells me no one's been there for 20, 30 years. And if it's anything like some of the other areas that no one's been in 20, 30 years, the fence is totally gone. Fence probably isn't even there. Right. So understand that, that you will probably have to restring a fence. And of course that's going to have a cost associated with that. So, what are we going to, what are we talking about here? Okay. We're at the, we're at the, the tail end of this podcast. So what I want to kind of recap is this before you make an offer on land, when you are first even thinking, I want to purchase land and you're about to call me and you're about to say, I want to purchase land. There are so many different things that need to run through your head. And a lot of them are going to tie to costs. You already know in your head probably what type of land. You know what you want to use it for. So you kind of know what type of land. That, that's pretty simple. Um, you know, we can talk through location. We can talk through road access and easements and things along those lines. Those are pretty simple things. But what you really need to start figuring out is how much do I want to spend in terms of purchase price? How much do I want to spend for utilities? 
How much do I want to spend for fencing? How much do I want to spend to clear certain areas if I need to spend anything? How much do I want to spend for internal roads if internal roads are not there and driveways and things along those lines? All of those costs that are associated with that property, it's not just the purchase price of that property. That's not your all-in price. You need to really look at end-to-end, when I am done with this, what is this price of the property going to cost? That's something to be mindful of. It's not just simply buying a piece of property. There are so many more things that go into buying a piece of property that most people don't even consider. And the availability of utilities is probably number one on the list in terms of things that aren't being considered um, and the cost of what that is going to, what that's going to run. So those are some of the things that I want you guys to think about whenever you want to purchase land um, and what you want to do with that land. I think two other things to, to kind of hit on, and I don't know, probably won't go into it, uh, maybe in another podcast, right? So we spent roughly 36 minutes just talking about buying land. And each one of the topics we've gone into, we could make a whole other podcast just on that topic and what we ran into and what other people have run into and dealing with each one of these subjects. But we haven't gotten into the exemptions, right? which is this whole separate demon, not a complicated demon, just a whole different thing you have to take into account. Um, and then we haven't talked about what if there's already a house there. I want to buy 100 acres with a house. Mm-hmm. That changes all of this. And minerals. We haven't talked about minerals either. Minerals changes everything by the way quick little snippet to keep it short on the minerals if they have them you're going to pay for it it ain't going to be included and they're probably not going to include them and if you see something that says minerals included and it looks like it's a good price there's a reason right don't let anybody tell you differently. There's a reason it's cheap and with minerals. There's, for the most part, a lot of sellers we run into don't own their minerals. But that's, minerals is a week-long broadcast on what's going on with minerals. But Corey's absolutely right. With There's so many different things that we go into, each one of those topics that we, did, we didn't even brush on, um, that is its own topic in and of itself. And hopefully in a future podcast, 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 we will be able to touch on some of those things. So we'll write those things down so we can make sure we come to you guys again and um, are able to cover those topics. Um, as always, we welcome your feedback. We welcome your comments. We would love to hear from you guys and hear what um, you think about this podcast and all of our others. We also want to hear back from you in terms of topics and what kind of topics you might want to hear about. So be sure to shoot us an email or send us some comments um, on all of that stuff. Um, any parting words, Corey? Man, just make sure that you contact the right people. If it's not us, make sure you go find you a realtor who knows. Uh, no. I mean, it's it should be us. be us. It should be us. But Hello, come but, on now. You know, Aunt Susie has that realtor that bought her beach house down in Florida, so I'm going to use her. Don't. There are realtors who know land. There are realtors who know houses. We're fortunate in our team that we deal with both all the time so we actually can help you either or but there are realtors who that's just what they know they only know selling a beach house in in palm beach or he only knows about selling a cattle ranch and that's it Mm -hmm. find you the right realtor if it's not us but it should be us 
to make sure they take care of you because it's not just opening the door. It's not just opening a fence and it's not just filling out a contract. If anybody says, says stuff like that, run, go get you a better agent than that because being a realtor and, and what we do and, and what we offer clients is so much more and you need to make sure you're being taken care of. He's absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better myself. So on that note, I'm going to leave it and we will talk to you next time. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for more fun and exciting real estate updates. Thanks for listening.